Before we get started, we all know what a rhino is, a rhinoceros, right? It's this huge, um, it's huge, deadly, armored, horned creature in Africa or the local zoo, wherever you go. Um, so it can charge you, it can kill you, right, pretty easily. So the question we have to ask, right, is how far away do you need to be from a rhino to be safe from it? Well, the answer is actually 15 feet. Um, they are one of the most nearsighted creatures that exist. Um, so they can't see you. You're far enough away, you're safe. Um, so that's why today I brought a live rhino into the church. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so we're going to look at today what happens if we're too nearsighted in our lives. Times whenever we forget what's, what's um, happened to us. Um, so today we're going over Second uh, Peter. You're there in your Bibles. Second uh, Peter, the first nine verses. The author is Peter. And we see that uh, introducing himself in the first verse. Peter is the apostle um, of Jesus, right? And the leader in the Jerusalem church, actually. Um, and it's very likely that he's writing to the same group of people that he wrote to in 1 Peter, uh, which is a dispersed church. It's a general area of churches. Peter is addressing actually a different issue here in 2 Peter than he was in 1 Peter. If you look, in 1 Peter, he's um, addressing this suffering or this persecution that people are facing from people outside the church. So from these outside um, people are coming in and persecuting these believers. But in 2 Peter, it's different. He is a warning against false teachers from within the church. There's people within the church who are coming up and saying these things. They're actually trying to persuade believers to follow their lusts. And um, they, they deny that there's any judgment for sin, right? There's nothing that can happen. And basically they're saying this. They're saying, Christ won't judge you, right? Look, he hasn't come back yet, and he won't come back, right? Nothing's going to happen. Everything's stayed the same. And we know that in Romans 8, Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We know when we place our faith in Christ for eternal life, we have that life eternally. Uh, but Hebrews says that whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So there's discipline that we can face in our Christian walk. So do we realize that? Right? Do we realize that there are consequences to our sins? Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And if we're, we're acting in sin, living in sin, and there's consequences we can, faith here, uh, we can face here on earth. Galatians 6 says, uh, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Right? So the problem is false teachers are within the church. And they're coming and they're trying to pull unstable believers down into a life of sin. And so Peter writes to confront this view. And to remind the believers of what the prophets have said, what Christ said, and what the apostles have said. Right? So the Old Testament scriptures and then of what the apostles and what Christ have said. In fact, he tells us that that's actually his goal. In verse 12 of, of, of chapter 1, he says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And then verse 15, he says, And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you'll be able to call these things to mind. So he wants them to know and to remember the things that Christ and the apostles and the things that he's saying. So with us, what are people going to remember when we're gone? Is it going to be our job? Is it going to be our jokes, our anger? Or is it going to be our love, our grace that we have, and the truths of God's word, the truths of the Bible? What are people going to remember about you and I whenever we're no longer here, no longer in, a, in an area, in a situation, or no longer here on earth? Before we get started, uh, there's an outline that we have here. The introduction, right? The first couple of verses, Peter's like, I'm Peter. Grace to you, 
basically. Um, and we have some cool stuff in there we're going to look at. But then we have a supply. So it talks about something that actually that God has given us so we can live in a certain way. So we can follow this command we see in the next few verses. Um, and we have actually, that's the only command we see in this entire passage. Um, and so we have this command and these qualities here. And then there's a sign at the very end. The last two verses, it, it means basically, if this is happening, then that means this. If this isn't happening, that means that, right? So we have signs that we see here. So let's get into it. Look at Second uh, Peter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Once again, this is the Apostle Peter, the one who walked on water, and the one who denied Jesus three times. Same guy. An apostle actually means one sent with authority. One sent with authority. This is Peter saying, introducing himself, as one sent with authority from Christ. And why is this important? Well, he's addressing these false teachers, right? And their authority is coming from their flesh, coming from the world. But Christ says, no, my authority is from Christ, and that's what I'm coming to you in. We know he's writing to other believers. Uh, he says this, that to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, so they're believers here. Um, uh, interesting about this word, same kind. In the Greek, it actually means equally privileged or of the same value. And so Peter's expressing the fact that there's only one way for anyone to receive salvation, right? apostle or not. It's through faith in Christ. If you're an apostle, that's how it is. If you're not, um, it's still the only way that we receive eternal life. It's the same value that the apostles have that we have. In fact, Paul says a similar thing in Galatians. He's actually addressing, addressing um, Peter in Galatians, and he he's, has this account, and he says this, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we, the apostles, have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So even here, you see that it's, he's saying um, it, it's for apostles and for others, right? It's by faith in Christ, not by works. I'm talking with the college kids a lot about this concept, um, and oftentimes we'll call this a triple threat, right? Because three times in one verse, it says it's not by works, it's by faith, right? So, Let's continue on. Look at verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Notice already, right? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the what? The knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Peter actually already is making a distinction between the false teacher's knowledge and the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ, right? That's where grace and peace are found multiplied to you is in the knowledge of Christ. We see Peter begin to transition here from the, from the real, to real life application now in verse three. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So his divine power has granted to us everything these false teachers come in and they say, you need to follow the world, you need to follow the flesh, you need to follow sin to live in freedom. Right? But, and they say living in the flesh brings freedom. But Peter says that Jesus has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Everything we need. And how free can we really be if we're living for the flesh? Right? You're just following what your flesh wants to do all the time. 
In his first letter, Peter says, Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. So the world will tell us anything to get us to follow along with it. But if we desire to live a life that glorifies God, if we desire to do that, we need to turn to him. He's given us everything we need. He's given us everything we need to live that life, to live a godly life. It says here, uh, God called us by his own glory and excellence. Also, this word translated to in the Greek, this by. So God has called us to live this life of glory and excellence, and he's given us what we need to live it out. And the question is, what has he given us? What has he given us as believers? Well, I have, I have a small list here. Things. The first one is Holy Spirit, right? The moment we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit. And Galatians 5 talks about how, but I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's one provision he's given us to help us live this godly life is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we also have the Word, God's Word, the Bible. In um, Hebrews, it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the vision of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the word is something we can look at and help us live this God-glorifying life. Next one we have is fellowship. Fellowship. And in Hebrews 10, it says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So fellowship, right, with other believers, we're there to to encourage each other, right? Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So he's given us these, these things, and this is a short list, right? The Holy Spirit, his word, other believers to help encourage us. He's given us so much more. But even in these three that we have, we can see that he's given us what we need to live a godly life, right? So we need to rely on him to live that life and not on our own flesh or not on the world to try to do that. And we need to ask ourselves too, do we want to live a godly life? Look at ourselves as believers and ask, do we want to satisfy the flesh or do we want to live for God? We'll have a pull to satisfy the flesh, even after, we, even after we believe and place our faith in Christ for eternal life. But what is our desire? How are we living our lives? Following that or not? Look at verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So by them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So by... These, right, these things, God's glory, God's excellence, he just talked about, he granted to us promises. And what promises has he granted to us? Well, we have some things that he's actually pointed out in this letter. So later in this letter, he talks about Christ will return. Christ will return, and there will be a judgment for for the ungodly people of the world and all of evil. And we know that actually he'll even get rid of evil. And there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. He'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain. And in Peter's view, these were causes for joy, right? Causes for joy and a hope to set our minds on as we go out and live this Christian life. And so um, he says by these promises, right, we actually have, um, we have this opportunity to live by the, they may become partakers of the divine nature. Divine nature, Okay, so we all receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. We know that. We put our faith in Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit. But this is talking about godly living. 
we actually we can live in a way that aligns more with God's morals and aligns more with his character because of these provisions he's given us. He's given us the Holy Spirit, his word, other believers, so much more. He's given us all we need to live in a way that's more Christ-like, glorifies God more. We don't have to live in the corruption of the world because we've escaped that in Christ. He's given us what we need. So Peter continues. Look at verse 5. It's the only command we see in this passage. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. So for this very reason, right, this reason that God's given us all we need, that if, um, if we follow that, then we get to become partakers of this divine nature. We have this hope he's given us. Applying diligence, he says, in your faith, supply all these things. And he says this, faith is already there, right? These are believers he's talking to. Your faith is there, but in your faith, supply all of this. And he starts off with this list of qualities, right? This is of qualities. So the first one we're going to look at is moral excellence. This is virtue, right? Virtue, which is the doing the right thing, right? To have the good character. We're called to have that. It's the first in this list. And if you notice, as we go through this list, it says, in your faith, supply moral excellence. And we go on, it's going to say, in this, supply this, and in this, this. So they're all connected all the way down as we go through. First one is moral excellence. And it says, in your moral excellence, supply knowledge. Right? And sometimes you may not know the right thing to do. You want to do the right thing, maybe have the virtue, but you don't know in this situation. It's a hard situation. It takes the knowledge of God's word to know how to handle situations in a way that glorify him. So in your moral excellence, make sure you have the knowledge to live out that virtue. In your knowledge, right? He says supply self-control. In your knowledge, supply self-control. And once you know a lot of stuff, uh, it can be hard not to be a know-it-all, right? It can be hard to deal with know-it-alls, right? But he says in your knowledge, supply self-control. We're called to have power over ourselves. We need to know when to say something and when not to say something, even though you maybe know something. And in your self-control, right, he says, supply perseverance. This Greek word uh, is steadfast endurance. And they use this to describe the martyrs, people who died for their faith. And so he's saying, keep on going, right? No matter what comes, keep pushing on and keep going. Don't just have self-control when you feel like it. That's not self-control, if I only had self-control about what I eat or whatever else it may be, if I didn't even want cookies at that time, then I would, it's not self-control. Because then when I wanted a cookie, I'd eat a cookie. Right? And so it doesn't do anything. It's not self-control. So it says persevere in your self-control. And in your perseverance, supply godliness. This is piety. Right? This root word is to show reverence for so when you're going through and you're persevering and you have this, make sure you have this, this godliness where you are actually giving, um, giving acknowledgement to God, right? Acknowledging him for what he's given you and what he's doing throughout all of this. And then we have in your godliness, supply brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is the Greek word Philadelphia. So the city of Philadelphia, it's a city of brotherly love, right? So brotherly love is what it has here. So as you're supplying godly living, godliness, um, make sure you also have brotherly love for each other. Acknowledgement to God, reverence to God, and love each other, other believers. 
And finally, we have in brotherly kindness, and in all of these things, supply love. This is the Greek word agape, and it's the strongest type of love. Right? It's the unconditional love. It's the, it's the love that, that God shows us, sacrificial. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so this love that we have here at the very end is being supplied in all the other things. Right? He says, in faith supply moral excellence. In moral excellence, knowledge, knowledge, self-control keeps going down, but all, all of them are supplied within each other. And love is supplied in them all. And so Peter has a command. He says, supply these things. The only command in this passage is to supply all of these things. Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. So how are we doing? Right? It's rough. Look at this. And a lot of times I don't see some of these things in my life. Are these qualities there? Are we missing some? Well, let's look, because Peter has something really interesting to say after this. Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have these, you're not useless and nor unfruitful. This means that you have them, these qualities, you are useful, right? You are fruitful here. The usefulness and the knowledge, notice once again, come in, uh, or the usefulness and fruitfulness come in the true knowledge of Christ. Once again, there's a dichotomy between the knowledge of the false teachers versus the knowledge of Christ. You're useful and you're fruitful if you have these qualities in the knowledge of Christ. Peter sets up two signs here. The first one is if you have these qualities, these great qualities we just looked at, then you're not useless and you're not unfruitful. But what happens if you don't have them? Well, he tells us. Let's look at verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So if you do have these qualities, you're not useless, you're not unfruitful. But if you don't have these qualities, it's a sign that you are blind, right? You've forgotten the purification from sins. I don't know about you, but I look at my life, and sometimes I don't see self-control. I don't see perseverance. I just give up. Sometimes I have a hard time loving my fellow believers, having that brotherly love. And Peter tells me that the reason why, the Bible tells me the reason why these qualities aren't there in my life is I've forgotten the joy in my salvation. I've forgotten that I've been purified. I've forgotten what's been done for me on my behalf. Look at Colossians. Colossians 2, it says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us, all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which is hostile to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. We had this list, this decree that was hostile to us that he took out of the way. He nailed it to the cross through Jesus Christ and took it away. So that was done for us. We placed our faith in him and were purified. And we forget that. And Peter doesn't even say in this verse, in 2 Peter, he doesn't say sins. He says former sins. Those sins are long ago. They're former. They've been taken care of already by him. Peter also does not say, if you don't have these qualities, these great qualities we looked at, then you weren't really saved to begin with. 
He doesn't say if you don't have these qualities, then you just need to try harder, right? Tighten your belt, tie your shoes, double knot them, whatever it may be. Just try harder and you'll get it, right? No, that's not what he says. What he says, if you don't have these qualities, then you weren't remembering all that God has done for you. You forgot the joy in salvation and that you've been purified. God has made you pure and he placed Christ's righteousness in you the moment you believe. Look at 2 Corinthians He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We receive Christ's righteousness when we believe. We've been purified then. But the Christian life does not automatically happen when we believe. I I, uh, put my faith in Christ for for eternal life. I know a lot of you have too. And sin still happens. Still sin, still mess up. Sin means to miss the mark. That still happens. It doesn't automatically just occur when we believe, when we're sinless. It also doesn't happen if we try it in our own power. I don't know if you ever tried to, be, uh, to say, I'm just going to have more love. Right? Like, golly gee, I'm going to have more patience. Right? It doesn't really work that way. Right? I've tried it. It does not. But we know that living a godly life starts with being in fellowship with God. It starts with being in fellowship with him. And he's given us all we need, right? He's given us um, the Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. He's given us um, other believers. So he's given us all we need. So turn to God for that, to live the Christian life. Spend time in the word. Spend time in prayer, in fellowship with other believers so they can stimulate one another to to love and good deeds. All these things, the Holy Spirit, are what God has given us so that we can have the qualities, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. The Christian life, we've forgotten the joy of salvation. And to restore that, we need to turn to him, right? We need to look, and in John 15, 5, we know that Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we have to turn to God because he's given us everything we need to live this life. We need to turn to him to be able to live it out. We want to be useful. We want to be fruitful. But it takes turning to God for that. So, look at some application. First, understand that God has given us all we need to have a godly life. If we try to rely on the world or try to rely on our flesh, it's not going to work. God's given us all we need. He's given us the Holy Spirit. We looked at these three. Holy Spirit, the Word, and other believers. So, turn to Him for help to live this life the life that we want to live. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So turn to him to live that faithful life. Also, to know that we are called to live a certain way in the Christian life. We have that list of qualities. We have moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And so know that we're called to live that way. But understand this too. Understand that not living a godly life means that we've forgotten that we've been purified. We've forgotten things that have happened to us. We've forgotten things that have been done for us. For not living a godly life, that means that. And so we need to analyze our life, see if we have these qualities. If we have them, great, right? We're fruitful and we're useful in the knowledge of Christ. But if not, turn to God for help. He's given us what we need to live this life and have these qualities. So turn to him. 